Hello, hello, good morning. Straight into today's podcast, which is the history of dieting or diets. God, I had a laugh reading this. Some of these are mental. All right, let's go. Okay, 5,000 BC or whatever. No diet. They just ate what they could get hold of, obviously. 400 BC, ancient Greeks. They were into their fitness. Sometimes spending eight hours a day at the gym, which meant... They were training, but also learning and be talking with philosophy. That's what the gymnasium was. And they were usually naked. Hippocrates recommended fat people follow strict diet, exercise and vomit. 600 to 1000 AD. Early Christians sometimes starved themselves to be holy. They often had hallucinations due to anorexia mirabilis or holy anorexia. 1066. William the Conqueror was so fat he couldn't mount his own horse. So he gave up on food and only consumed alcohol. The diet didn't work. They had to stuff him in his coffin and his intestines exploded. William didn't conquer his gluttony. Catherine of Siena died of a self-induced starvation after refusing to eat anything but communion wafers. 1550, the world's first diet book was written by an obese Italian, Luigi Corano. He recommended 12 ounces of food and 14 ounces of wine a day. I'm actually going to read that book and see what it says. It might be quite good. The first book, extolling the virtues of the Mediterranean diet, emphasising lots of veggies, 1614, 1700s. Many famous people struggled with their weight, such as Dr. Samuel Johnson and poet Samuel Coolridge. In 1730, Dr. George Shaney published The Natural Method of Curing the Diseases of the Body, which encouraged vegetarianism. 1800s, Lord Byron, you might have heard of this guy, Struggled to stay thin and often alienate. Oh, I'm sorry, alternated being starving and binge eating. He invented the vinegar diet, which he believed flushed out the fat. There are records of women dying from drinking too much vinegar. Well done, Lord Byron, you knob. Um, 1825. The physiology of taste or meditations on transcendental gastronomy. Jesus Christ, the first official low-carb diet and the forerunner of Atkins and Paleo. 1830, the first diet retreat for the overweight started by Sylvester Graham, inventor of the Graham Cracker. He previewed vegetarianism. Go on, Graham. 1860, the first diet with mass appeal was designed by William Banton, who lost 50 pounds by eating protein, fat and roughage, another early low-carb plan. Are you Banton? Would mean are you on diet? The first tummy tuck, 1899, was performed at John Hopkins when Dr. Kelly removed 15 pounds of fat from a patient's apron belly. 1905, Fletcherism was a diet craze which required dieters to chew every mouthful of food 32 times and then spit out the rest. He eventually increased it 100. 1918, the first calorie counting book by Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters sold over 2 million copies. I mentioned that before in a podcast. 1920s, Americans were buying scales, vitamins, fat, massages, and diet pills. Some of the medicines were poisons that made people sick or blind. Cigarettes were becoming more popular with great diet aids. Lucky brands advertise you should reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. <laughs> 1930s, diet crazes included the alkaline diet and grapefruit diet. 1940, the government issues guidelines for good nutrition. Ether Manns creates the support group Tops where folks could discuss their struggles with weight. Um, Caesar Roebuck and began the offer of plus size clothing in the 1950s. Fat was a moral issue again. 
ads warned no one loves a fat girl. The book Pray a Fat Away was just one of the many diets that claimed fat people were sinners. Machines machines help vibrate the fat away. Well, well, well. 1960s, the boyish bodies back in, boyish bodies back in, and the way to get it was watching fat, low-fat foods and artificial sweeteners being popular, as did diet pills such as benzodrine and other amphetamines. 1962, Weight Watchers is born as a copy of Al- Alcoholics Anonymous, but um, Overweight Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm going to find a few more details about these eras, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm going to send this article and, and uh, infographic out to people who are on the gold membership and above, because we're going to talk about this tonight on the book club. Uh, this type of like, what's going on? Like, 61 billion a year is spent on diet products in America. 61 billion. The average woman tries 61 diets by the time she's 45. That's another stat, so we don't know the exact number, but come on, that's mental. And we've been, look, I just, we've just been doing this for years, centuries. So the early Greeks and Romans, they thought having a healthy body meant you had a healthy mind and a, a body that was healthy was, you know, great news. Um, quite, you know, there's a truth to it, like, you know, it's coming back around to that, I think. So we, we used to think that the body doesn't really do much for the mind, maybe. You can be overweight and still be happy, obviously, and be cool, calm, collected, all that. But there is, and I'm not talking about just the fat, I'm talking about maybe the exercise part of it, like healthy heart, cardiovascular systems, being able to be in a high heart rate zone and being comfortable with that and com- uh, being uncomfortable, stuff like that. There definitely is a link between body and mind, mind, body. It's not just mind, body. It, the body can help the mind as well, 100%. They thought that, that being fat was a sign of mental unbalance. The Greeks loved training naked um, maybe they just felt naked people more and thought do you know what I like a sweaty man what should we do we get more sweaty men should we tell them that for them to learn philosophy they've got to be wrestling me naked Plato's there right boys gather around today today we're going to talk about the meaning of life but before we get into that I need to wrestle so come on over here Socrates boy let me have a slap of your, your ass <laughs> Um, so William the Conqueror was a big boy and died of it Um, in 1550 John Hale advised people to eat simply because more die of gluttony than the sword of the plague that's true more die of that now than you know even back in when Renaissance women wanted to look slim they didn't diet but pulled in their corsets instead these undergarments bound their breasts as well as their waists. Women actually died from straight lacing and that their corsets cut into their skin, causing sores and would get infected. While today's women are now wearing elastic shape, wearing skinny jeans to look thinner, corsets are making a comeback thanks to Kim Kardashian and other celebrities. Uh, waist training corsets to achieve tiny waists. We, are, we haven't changed, do we? We haven't changed at all. In 1660, farming swept Europe and people ate hunger-suppressing foods like potatoes. Think about that hunger suppressing foods like potatoes. Why do we eat potatoes now? Potatoes definitely fill you up. I think they're one of the foods that fill you up the most on the index. Starving cartoonists made fun of the very fat George the Fourth, calling him the Prince of Wales, as in the animal. See, they're taking the piss of the Wales, eh? How the English Prince of Wales in 1660, is it? I don't think so, buddy boy. Dr. Samuel Johnson, the leading intellectual of his day, grew very fat and depressed and named his obesity My Black Dog. 
His constant companion and biographer James Boswell argued that some lean people can eat a great deal and remain thin, whilst others eat less and grow fat. But Dr. Johnson wasn't having any of it, noting that his fat was strictly a result of his eating too much. And there's a truth there, hundred percent. We just it's not a, he's not judging you know, we're not judging anyone. If you're gaining weight, you're eating too many too much food. Simple as. Nothing more needs to be added to that. I'm I I've gained weight because I've eaten too much food. Full stop. Doesn't have to say I'm a terrible person. La la la. We've struggled. Humans clearly have struggled with eating too much for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of years. You know, and um, it might always be a problem. It might always be a problem. And there was even a problem before the um, before the abundance of foods for the people. But maybe they had more abundance back then. So the rich people were the ones who had the foods. Maybe they just had unlimited foods. They get unlimited buffet. Who knows? Um, Lord Byron, this guy. Lord Byron was easily the sexiest man in the world in 1820, says he. Everyone wanted to look like him. Even he wanted to look like him. His problem was he gained weight easily and had to work hard, remain slim. This rock star of the Regency area would starve himself and then binge eat. And then he would try to sweat it off in the layers of clothing. You smelly man. He invented the Vingiga diet, drinking it with water several times a day to flush off his fat. He also ate potatoes drenched in Vingiga. There are records of women dying, like I said earlier. Thanks, thanks, because they were imitating their hero, Lord Byron. Today's variation of Lord Byron's diet, the apple cider Vingiga diet, is still around. So stop doing stupid stuff, people. Between 1850 and 1900, it was called the Victorian anorexia, a form of self-imposed starvation that women practice in order to look thin and frail. Oh, the year was 1903, right around the time big insurance companies began rating policyholders based on their weight. This is what you say in the NHS, guys. Jesus Christ. Horace Fletcher, an art dealer in San Francisco, was too fat to qualify for insurance. Imagine that. So he invented his own weight loss plan. He lost 40 pounds by chewing every month for 32 times, one for each tooth, and then spat it out. Later you refined it, chewing until the food is completely liquid, or at least 100 times. Um, munchie party. <laughs> he did. He hosted munching parties. They came in the fashion when people stood around and counted the jaw movements until they got to a hundred, which sometimes took as long as five minutes. <laughs> hey guys, are you in tight then? You're gonna come for a munching party, yes, yeah, on we were doing just chew food, mate, and stand in a circle, is it? Yes, yeah, sound. Come on. Interestingly, though. There is a study that shows uh, if you do chew more, you eat 12% less. So, uh, there's, something, there's something to do with this. Maybe we should have two little munching zooms. I need, a, I need to chew more, 100%. You know when I eat oats? I don't think I eat it. I just swallow like, like a drink. Like, it's already, it's already like, you know, tiny. In <laughs> 1926, American Medical Association Convention. Doctors spoke out against... Silly but dangerous diet cures and insane female regimes designed to diet away natural body curves. If fad, they said, would jeopardise a woman's ability to conceive a child. There's a truth to this, you know, big time. As one doctor put it, it's preposterous. There is no humbug too raw. Women should not follow beauty ideals to endanger motherhood. You know, lose the period, too low diet, calories, you know, probably too much activity. That's been known for a hundred years. Dr. Morris Fishbane, writing in 1929, was even more forceful about dangerous dieting. Although, sadly, he was also both sexist and homophobic in his protestations. 
malnourished women are deeply unattractive, he wrote, and they threaten male and female norms, encouraging the rise of lesbianism. Female fat is necessary for societal survival, yeah. This nonsense is a result of feminism. Hey, how's that then, mate? Writing in the same year, Dr. Harrow Brooks agreed, a woman who is naturally sweet-tempered, good-natured and competent, he wrote, transforms into a different person on the diet. She goes petulant, unreasonable and hard to get along with. I might even end up as a lesbian. <laughs> these are people, right, back in the day, these are people used to, some of them look up to and be like, he's an intelligent man, noble man. They, they'd write this, while they're writing this show, and you read that and you go, yeah, they must have thought, yeah, fair, fair play. Saying some truth there. In 1936, I thought we were first with radio, guys, we're not. 1936, 26,000 people joined a radio reducing party hosted by Victor Hugo Linder, author of You Are What You Eat. So Turtle Radio, thinking it's an innovation, is, is not. But we don't do reducing party radios, we're just talking about life for me. So um, Victor Hugo, February, anyway, you will beat us a good hundred years ago. <laughs> In 1930, tummy tucks, double chin and breast reductions and other beauty surgeries are available to be rarely done. One doctor from the era sounds very modern when he said, they are only satisfied as a little time and then they come back for more. Well, there we are. That's a lesson for you in all sorts of... You know, shot your nose out, then you're not happy with your eyes and you're happy with your, with your, nose, with your nose again, you're not happy with your mouth and you're happy with teeth. Never happy. Maybe that's the, the line through here. No one's ever happy where they are. In 1936, Jack Lalanne started the first health club in Oakland, California and designed the first leg extension machines and other fitness equipment. He immediately faced opposition from the medical establishment and later told an interviewer, the doctors were against me. They said that working out with weights would give people heart attacks and they would lose their sex drive. Jesus Christ. Doctors are against things. Doctors were against the NHS as well, do you know that? Yeah, interesting. They only wanted to work on the rich people. They want to touch the stinky poor, didn't they? That's what the that's what their reasoning was. The more interesting diet of the era was the one that gave birth to many diets of today, including the Beverly Hills, Acid Ash, Body pH, and the Alkaline Diets. In nineteen thirty five, Doctor William Hay divided all foods into alkaline, acid and neutral. Carbs and starches are alkaline, meats and other proteins are acid and others are neutral. You shouldn't combine acid and alkaline because your body is unable to digest them completely. Dr. Hayes, thousands of followers of car manufacturer Henry Ford. Henry, come on, mate, you got to do better than that. And artist Man Ray. There's nothing scientific about his claims, so they, they still endure to this day. Here's a guy we can maybe look into. And so, e S Esther Mans? Is it a woman or a man? Maybe it's a woman. Ether Mans? In 1948, Ether Mans created a support group called TOPS, which stood for Take Off Pounds Sensibly. The original group met once a week at Milwaukee, Mil whatever, did not follow a diet plan but rather just discussed their mutual struggles and weighed themselves at every meeting. Hey, that's a good plan. 1948, let's talk about our struggles and why we then turned to food for, our, uh, for the outlet. Even God did not approve of fat in the 50s. Come on, God, what are you doing? I thought you loved us all. Charles said a preacher who lost £100 pounds wrote, we farties are the only people on earth who can weigh your sin. His 1957 book was entitled Pray Your Weight Away. Deborah Pierce wrote a similar book called I Prayed Myself Slim. <laughs> These people are nuts. She said she figured that if gluten were a sin, then God would help me overcome it. 
Pierce lost enough weight to become a fashion model. Jesus. The main approach of dieting was to count calories later on and cut out sweets and high-fat foods. This was based on the science of the times, particularly by the studies done by Ansel Keys, a leading nutritionist. One of the earliest studies was about men on starvation diets during World War II. He found that they became anxious, depressed, unable to concentrate and preoccupied with food and cooking. Some would sneak food into the study area and one participant cut the tip off his fingers to get out of the experiment. These behaviours or problems are typical of any person on an extreme low-calorie regime. You do lose your mind on low calories, like super low. So why, like, if you are if you are doing loads of training sessions, guys, at least seven, eight, nine times a week, and you're in fat loss, you need to start thinking, you need to get at least a maintenance, because that's a lot. And track your, you know, we talk more about this in another time, energy availability. Like, if you're doing too much exercise and your calories are low, you're in it's a dangerous combination for women. It is. Elvis Presley struggled with his weight as he approached middle age. He tried a 1960s fad diet, which was not a diet, which was not a diet at all. Wait, this is the best. He tried a 1960s fad diet, which is actually not a diet at all. The Sleeping Beauty diet is about taking sleeping pills and not eating for a few days whilst you're in comatose. Like that's like having sleep for dinner. Are you hungry? No, no, I've got I've sleep for dinner, buddy. Wake up hungry and have sleep. Have sleep for breakfast when you go back to bed. <laughs> Classic. Uh, a few more guys. Um, yeah, dieters who got help from a medical community in the form of prescription diet pills, which contain amphetamines and dinoprethanol, de- which I think DMP was mentioned yesterday, to increase your metabolic rate. These drugs were already been widely prescribed for depression and been widely abused for decades. By 1978, 8% of all prescriptions were from amphetamines, with many sold by diet doctors at diet clinics. Dr. Nicholas Rasman, right in the Journal of Public Health, estimated that about 6 to 10 billion 10 milligram tablets were sold every year in the 60s. In 1962, a housewife in Queens named Jean Nidek formed a weekly group with friends to support one another in weight loss. The group used a diet designed for cardiac patients from the New York Department of Public Health. Within a year, Weight Watchers had gone public and 400 people lined up to join. Today, the organisation has 1.5 million members and 25,000 employees. In 1994, the FDA required all packaged foods must have labels that provide nutritional information. We don't even live in an era where this was a norm. It's like we go to the shop and we're like, oh, I can see the calories and macros. And like, we assume it's always been there. It's only been there for 10, 20 years. Is it 20 years? 10. 10. 20. Nearly 30 years. So we're lucky to have this access, I think. Uh, another internet fad in the early 2000s are cash rewards for those who lost weight. You pay to join and then by the month, by the end of the month, and then you collect money if you lose weight. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of apps to this. You can see the apps to now with like sweat coin and like rewards for movement and all that stuff in it. Um, and then, yeah, so that's it really, overview. So for our book club, which is discussion tonight, or debates in the book, we're going to, if you read this, um, if you read this article, which is brilliant, or you can just look at the at the um, the infographic, I want you to wonder. The question is really: Why have we always struggled? Why have we, why have humans always struggled? Obesity and overweight threat levels going up. We've got more access to information than ever. We've got more tools. We've got more online support, really. Or have we? Or is it we don't have more support? Where it's like fake support? Is social media causing things to increase? Or was this problem going to increase regardless because it was in the 90s anyway? Well, like, until the 90s, it skyrocketing. Like, are we just not moving more? 
Like, is it a lifestyle that's really, really, you know, is are the, is the computer revolution the cause? I don't know. But then you've got people who are manual laborers who are, who do a lot of manual work who are overweight as well. So this question, I don't even know if we're ever going to get the answer to it. You have to do what works for you. You know, that is really the uh, the thing to look at. What works for you might not work for someone else. That's the fact. Everyone has to be in an energy deficit to lose weight. But how are you getting to one and how is sustained and how is... Everyone has to change their lifestyle. That's the, that's the fact, you know. And I don't, I don't think government can change lifestyles. Our lifestyles are a massive kind of like accumulation of film, TV, access to the shops and stuff, roads, cars. If you live in a city, out in the country, like all that stuff. And the kind of trends of the time. The mass desire of looking sexy is always going to be there, isn't it? The mass desire of always going to look better is always going to be there. And, where, and you can't really create that mass desire. That mass desire is not really being created by a person. It is just there. The desire to look better and feel better and our skin is just it's just there. It's in the air, you know? And that's what companies do. They see this in the air. They, they direct that what, what that is in the air into their product. Oh, the desire to look good, well, this product helps you. The desire to be healthier, this product, yeah? And uh, I, I don't honestly know the answer. Like, there's more companies now trying to help people lose weight than ever. Is there more misinformation? Let's know. Let's discuss it tonight, guys, from gold members. I'm going to get all your views in there. I'll, I'll talk about your struggles all the time and see what we can take from it. Um, but yeah, hopefully you are as uh, interesting. Listen, I'm interested in stuff like that. I'm going to read that book from the 1500 as the first one, the first dieting book, see what it says. There'll be some snippets of gold in there, no doubt, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he talks about the times. Like, is it just like, were, were the market, were they just like farmer's markets and it was just loads of food to eat? Do you know what I mean? Was it just not, was it exactly like we have now really, but we think the world is so different? I don't know. But I will find out and I will let you know. But I can only buy it on hardback, which is a problem. I need it on Kindle. Um, but that's it for today, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Speak to you all soon. I'll be on the radio tomorrow, 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. So if you are listening, you are likely a silver member. So if you go to the bottom right tab of the app, and t- tap to join Turtle Radio. It will take you to the the group on the clubhouse. To make sure you join that, and then when we go live, you get notification. And this is a reminder to all of you: new feature on the app. Go to the bottom right tab, scroll down to dashboard settings, and turn on hide carbs and fat. A lot of you are stressing out about going over in carbs, lower in fat, or going over in fat and got loads of carbs left. It doesn't matter as long as protein and calories are there. If you're eating your protein or coming within 20 grams, you know, if you come within 20 to 15 grams of your protein, protein target to start with, happy days. You can actually go over your protein target by 30 to 40 grams if you wanted to. There's no problem with that. And even if that takes you over your calorie target a bit, that's fine. You have to think of it as zones, not absolute numbers. And we might bring the zone feature into the app where it's like you have a zone of calories to hit and a zone of protein because I think people are getting too fixated on the actual number. But... Just come near your calorie target and come near your protein target as best as you can. Some days will be lower, some days will be higher. It will average out over the week and the averaging should come out to what your target is if you're, you know, aware and on track. And if you go over massively one day, you can put the auto adjuster on and it'll take that off the rest of your week and automatically adjust the calories for the next few days. I have it on all the time because I day, rarely day to day am I hitting the same calories. In this, I'm rarely in the same 100 to 200 calorie bracket, you know, just how life is for me anyway. I just, I don't really 
Just go with it. Go with flow like water. That's it. Have a good day. Speak to you on radio tomorrow.